Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Be back. We, uh, we're, we're sort of married in now. And, uh, and of course, we love your, your pastors so much. Carol and I just esteem them, and we just think they are absolutely just fantastic. I, I just think Pastor Darren is uh, really one of the top great leaders in our movement, and he's probably the best leadership speaker that personally I love to listen to. And uh, Bronwyn, she's my favorite everything. Preacher, teacher, encourager, I love that girl. We just, we just love you, and uh, we're so grateful. Carol and I, as Linnea said, had, had the privilege of moving with our three babies to Australia in 1987. So we've been here a long time, and it's taken me 34 years now to develop my Western Sydney accent. And uh, we've been in Western Sydney every one of those 34 years. So this is what you sound like, and you cut me open, and I bleed the Nepean River now. So, But you know, I want to really honor my wife. She is also the senior pastor with me. And uh, we pioneered with just me, her, and three babies in 1987. When we left the United States, we came here clueless. We didn't know how to pioneer a church. We didn't know. We just were asked to come. And so she'd take my youngest daughter, Joelle, who now has five babies. And today, they are the new pastors in Canberra, Imaginations Church Canberra. So they're, they're, that's happening right now. But Carol would take JoJo in the backpack, go down one side of the street, and I'd take the two other kids, Carissa was one of them, go down the other side of the street, knocking on doors. I mean, how do you pioneer a church? How do you pioneer a church in the western suburbs of Sydney? I don't know. You just get out there and knock on doors, I guess. And Carol has just been by my side, more than by my side, this whole time. And I just honor her, and you're my hero, baby. You're my hero. First Sunday outside of my own pulpit in two years. Can you believe that? I mean, have we been locked down, locked up, locked in, locked out? Good God Almighty, help us, Lord. But I've been learning a whole lot during these last two years, and I'll bet you have too. And one of the things that's really, really come home to me like never before is how powerful our words are and what we say. That You know, we can create with our words an atmosphere, can't we? We can also create with our words an atmosphere joy or an atmosphere faith. Or it's just, it's just uh, amazing how much God uh, made us in his image that we, like him, we have words. God has a word, and you have a word, and your word is powerful. His word is ultimate powerful. And, but, you know, in his image, we have a will like God has a will. And we have the power of words like God has the power of words. So I've been learning over these last two years a whole lot about my mouth and my tongue and what I, what I say and what I don't say. Especially when you, you're locked in t- together, it's important that you learn some of these lessons at least. So the power of my words. And in Job chapter 6 and verse 25, we read, How forceful are right words. I think we all would agree how forceful are wrong words as well, because words 
are powerful and forceful. Words wield immense power like a sword. A sword can be there for protection and security, and, 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 and it also can be there for damage and for hurt and for, for terrible things. Words are like that. We read in James chapter 3, verse 2 through 6, we can make a large horse turn around and go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a tiny rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot wants it to go. Not just with the flow, but where the pilot wants it to go. So also the tongue. Small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. A tiny spark. It's like every time you speak, you spark. Every time you speak, you spark. As a matter of fact, the King James Version uh, in here says that the tongue is a fire. So the tongue is a torch. Your mouth is a match. A tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. Man, last time we were up here a couple years ago, we saw the devastation of that fire. And even yesterday, driving through the country, could still see devastation of what a tiny spark can do. Even a couple years later, that's how powerful a spark can be. But we're talking about our tongue. Verse 6 says, and the tongue is a flame of fire. It is full of wickedness that can ruin your whole life. It's amazing to think that I carry around a self-destruct capacity and I can literally ruin my own life with my tongue, with my words. It says it can ruin your whole life uh, uh, into a, a blazing flame of destruction for it is set on fire by hell itself. But just above that, I like this, this little thing here. It says it's full of wickedness. I don't like that. But it says, uh, no, let me go before that. There's somewhere in here. It can, anyway, let me say it this way. I'm rusty. I haven't been out of my pulpit in two years. <laughs> with your tongue, like a bridle or like a rudder, we can turn our lives. We can change our course. If I don't like where I'm at, I can change it. We can set our direction with the power of our words. The Apostle Peter said it like this. Whoever would love life and see good days. Come on, that's every Aussie I know. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Imagine that, that my enjoyment of life and my capacity to live out good days is directly proportionate to the words that are coming out of my mouth. Words have the power to make everything better. Words have the power to make everything worse. And you have the power of words. Today, I want us to look at the power of naming. The power of giving something a name. Of naming. So in Genesis chapter 1, by the way, in that early service this morning, if you have not heard Pastor Bronman preach on the book of Genesis, I learned more in 15 minutes from her this morning than 15 hours of some pastors and preachers I've said under. No word of a lie. So, but in Genesis, I'm just, just letting you guys know that was really good. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, God said, how about this? God said, let there be light, and light began to shine. He saw the light. He knew that it was good. 
Then he separated the light from the darkness. God named the light day, but he named the darkness night. He named the darkness night. So God created the world with his word. He spoke it into existence. We read in Hebrews 11:3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And not only that, we also understand from the scriptures, his word not only framed the world and the worlds, but his word is what holds it all together. From the subatomic level to the vastness of the end of the universe, the entire it, the entirety of all creation that was formed by his word is held together by his word. We read this in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. The sun perfectly mirror, he mirrors God and he is stamped with God's nature. He holds everything together by what he says, powerful words. Or as the King James says, he holds it all together by the power of his words. Now, we're talking about big stuff today. We're talking about massive things today. And so I pray that our hearts would open up and make room for what I believe the Lord wants us to hear. Now, Job, we read in chapter 22 and verse 28, says, you shall declare a thing. And it will be established unto you. And we think, oh, whoa. Bro, wait, wait, no. Then Jesus comes along and amps it up. And this is what Jesus thinks about the power of the words that come out of your mouth. And I'm just bouncing off Job here to Jesus. And in Mac, Mark chapter, Mac, in Mac chapter 11, verse 20, I brought my glasses, but they're the kind that, that when the light gets on them, they turn to sunglasses. And so I'm going without my glasses right now because I don't want to look whatever I would look like wearing sunglasses this morning up here. I'd probably look like I'm from Sydney or something. I don't want to look like that because I'm a country boy at heart. So Mark chapter 11, verse 23. Let's go right from what Job says, and now let's just bounce right into what Jesus says. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed. Be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he says will be done, he will have whatsoever he says. Oh, my goodness. You shall decree a thing and it shall be established unto you. Now, brother, don't take that too far. Oh, really? Well, let's get to the New Testament. And Jesus says, you will speak to a mountain and it will move. So somebody in heaven thinks that the words I speak are way more powerful than I must think they are. I want to ask this question. What kind of a world am I framing with my word? Now, I can't frame the world, but I can frame my world with my word. What kind of, what kind of mountains am I moving with my mouth? Are you just standing before some mountains right now and complaining like the children of Israel or like I do so much? Are you standing? I love what Joyce Meyer said. She said, I quit talking about my mountains and I start talking to my mountains. What kind of family 
Am I framing with my words? What kind of self-image or self-confidence am I creating with my confession? Because you have the power of words, and they can create a world, and they can move a mountain. So in Genesis 1, God named darkness night. When you name something, you take a position over it. It's in many ways, you subjugate it when you name it. There's just something powerful about naming something. What was God doing when he told Adam to name the animals? He had told him to have dominion, to subdue. And then he said, and here's your job. I want you to name the animals. By the very act of naming them, he was taking dominion over them. He named them. They did not name him. Everything you name, you positionally shift yourself above it. God named the stars because he is over them. He is not under them. We read in Psalm 147 and verse 4, he determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. You name your children. God named darkness. Night. He didn't call it Darkness, because darkness is perpetual. Darkness has no end. Darkness is incessant and insistent. God named it night. And in doing so, he limited it. He limited it to a length of time that would eventually end and dawn into a new beginning and a new day. And you and I this morning, we need to understand the power of our words and the power of our decrees and the power of naming our darkness night. We read in Psalm 30 and verse 5, weeping may endure for a night. We've all been there. We all know that. I'm sure this precious couple that we've been praying for this morning with that precious little girl, that precious little daughter, I'm sure they know this verse. We've all, we've all been there. We've all, weeping may endure for a night, but let me tell you something about a night. Joy comes in the morning, but joy comes in the morning. God named darkness night, and he just limited it right there. There is no end to darkness, but there is an end to night. There is no limit to darkness, but every night ends with the dawn of a new day and a new beginning. So what are you calling your darkness? What are you calling your injustice? What are you calling your disappointments? What are you calling your heartaches? What are you calling your sorrows? What are you calling your failures? If you are not naming them, they will name you. 
Are they naming you victim? Or are you naming them stepping stones to greatness? You can name your darkness. What did Joseph call his injustice? We remember the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis, how that as a 17-year-old boy, he was so loved by his father, hated by his brothers, hated, loved by his father, had a dream of God in his heart, an amazing dream, prophetic. He didn't even know how much of a dream that was from God. And he was, you know, Joseph was, he was a beautiful young man. He was just this beautiful young man, but his brothers hated him. And they see him one day coming out because his father says, go check on your brothers. And when they see him coming, they, they, they want to murder. They want to kill him. And they start devising who's going to kill him. Who's going to strangle him. Who's going to rip his heart out. Who's going to kill him. We hate him. We hate him. And as he came to them, there was a cistern there, a, a well. And they decided to throw him in it until maybe they drew straws. Who would, who would do the deed and kill him? And one of the brothers said, no, let's not kill him. And he went back. He didn't, want to, he didn't want to kill him. But a caravan of slave traders was on their way to Egypt. And that beautiful young man was pulled up out of that pit and sold as a slave, never to see family, father, the lands, his whole life. They took his coat of many colors. They dipped it in blood and took it back to his father and said, a wild animal has, has eaten him. Joseph was done so wrong, so unthinkably wrong. What name did Joseph call? What did he give the name to his injustice or to the unfairness that had happened to him or to the violation of his life? What did he call his murderous, treacherous, deceiving, lying, dream-destroying brothers? What did Joseph name the deal that he had been dealt? How many years did he waste away in prison? Because we know what happened. He was sold out of that pit. He was sold into Potiphar's house where that woman tried to rape him. And he, wouldn't, he held his integrity. He ran for his life and ended up in prison. And now he's years in prison. His brothers did this. Potiphar's wife did this. Now he's in prison. A totally just man living as though he were unjust. How many years did he waste away in prison dreaming how he could get even and exact revenge on those dipstick, cockroach, dropkick brothers? But no, 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 not at all. Joseph did not name himself victim he did not name himself casualty. He did not name himself fatality or wounded or offended. No, Joseph named his darkness night. Because darkness endures, but the night ends. He named it the hand of the Lord to take me to my destiny. He named it the pathway of pain that brought me to a place where I could save millions and millions of people's lives. He called the pit 
And Potiphar and the prison, his path to the palace. Listen to his own words. He was 17 when those brothers defied him, defiled him. And he was 39 when they finally are standing before him. He had already been through the pit, Potiphar, prison for years. And now he was standing there 22 years later, all of a sudden, the most powerful man on earth next to Pharaoh. And these rat bags come in before him. His brothers have no idea who this is, except that he's the most powerful man on earth next to Pharaoh. And they've come for food because he's keeping the world alive right now. He's keeping the world alive right now. And all of a sudden, they look up and see him, and they go, O-M-G, we are dead men. We are dead men. We have carried in our conscience for 22 years what we did to that boy. And that boy, now every dream that he had is fulfilled, and he's standing here in front of us. And honestly, next to Pharaoh, he is going to squish us like a little bug. But that's not what happened. Joseph saw him, he went out, he wept before God, he comes back in, he reveals himself, and here is what he named his darkness, his own words, Genesis 50, verse 20. But as for you, you, I can think of a few, can't you? But as for you, you meant evil against me. Don't doubt it for a second. As evil as evil can be. As wicked as wicked is. You meant evil against me, but God. Man, this is the game changer right here. This is what ends dark. This is what this is where where darkness becomes night. When I when we can say, but God. He says, but God meant it for good. These are his own words. In order to bring it about as it is to this day to save many people alive. That's what Joseph called the deal. The New Living Translation says it like this. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many, many people. Joseph said, this wasn't about me. It was about more than me. It was about God. It was about millions. It was about others. This wasn't just about me. Joseph named his injustice good and God's preparation for my life of service to him. Joseph said, my dream was fulfilled and my character was formed in the furnace of affliction. What are you naming your difficulty? Let me tell you how you know if God's getting ready to promote you. It's when you can say to the one who's hurt you, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. What are you calling your situation, unfair or the test of my character? You are not ready to rule and reign until you're ready to do good to the person who put you in a pit. What are you naming the season that you're in right now? Are you in a season of barrenness? Call it winter. 
Name it winter. By naming it, you limit it, and you declare that God is in it, and that you're going to come out above it. Just like we read in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor there be any fruit on the vine, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields, of, uh, the, 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 they yield no fruit, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet, but God, yet, but God, this isn't how it's going to be forever. This is a season. This is not forever. Yet I will praise the Lord and I will joy in the God of my salvation. He will restore to me exceedingly abundantly above. Because every spring, when you name your barrenness season uh, winter, you realize that spring comes after every winter. Spring's coming. Sunshine's coming. We know this. We don't have to be great theologians to know this. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things, difficult things, work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. You need to take the power of your words and you need, you need to name your burden, blessing, your prison, promotion, your crisis, character, your past, preparation. The Apostle Paul named his weakness strength. I mean, how do you deal with a guy like that? If you're the devil, if you're trying to mess, him, mess with him. So we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10. Paul said, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Dude, really? The disciples, after being beaten before the Sanhedrin and the council, named their persecution privilege that they were counted worthy to suffer. Caleb, when those 12 spies came back and 10 of them said, they're just giants. They're giants and we're grasshoppers. Caleb said, no, man. He called the Canaanites. Caleb called the Canaanites food. He said, they're bread. He said, it's a land strewn with Vegemite sandwiches. Let's go get some. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? One names it impossible giants and we're grasshoppers. And then another, the other names it the, the defenses are gone. God is with us. They're bread for us. They're food for us. We're going to eat them. Abraham named the most difficult place he ever stood in his life. With his son on an altar and a knife in his hand. He named that place Jehovah Jireh. David named the valley of the shadow of death. The place where God is near the place where his rod and his staff comfort him. What are you naming COVID-19? The end of the world or the beginning of revival? The darkest or the harvest? Don't let it name you. Don't let this name you. 
I'm calling my lockdown, my slow down, and my look around as I go to my rebound. <laughs> Don't name your darkness desolation or devastation, but renovation and restoration. Come on. I'm going to ask our team to come back, please, to the platform. There was a time in the Old Testament during the, the judges of Israel, and it was a dark time. Eli, uh, the priest, uh, had two wicked sons, and Eli was sort of like the judge. He had these two wicked sons, but he also had Samuel grow up in the house of the Lord. But there came a time when the Philistines... Um, Attacked, and it was such a dark day. Both sons of Eli were killed, and the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines. That would be like the ultimate worst thing that could ever happen to Israel. The Ark of the Covenant. And so Eli is a big man, and he's sitting on the fence, and the messenger comes, and the messenger says, Phineas is dead. Your sons are dead. And Eli said, What about the Ark of God? He said, it's been captured. The Philistines have taken it. And Eli fell over dead. And in that moment, his daughter-in-law was giving birth to a baby. And when she heard the news, she died in childbirth. And the last words she ever spoke, she screamed out of her mouth and she named her baby Ichabod. Ichabod means the glory has departed. The light is gone. Ichabod. She named her darkness, darkness. Now you compare that to Joseph. There he is in captivity. There he is now. Decades away, two decades away from his family. And Joseph also had two sons. And we read in Genesis 41, in verse 51, Joseph called the name of the firstborn. He didn't call him Ichabod. Hey, Ick. The glory is gone. Darkness is here. How would you like to walk in the room and that's your name? No. Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget my hardship my broken heart, the heaviness, the past. He said, God has made me forget my hardship in all my father's house. That's what he named his son. And then the second son, he names Ephraim. And Ephraim, he calls him Ephraim. He says, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Joseph named his darkness. He named, he named it, God has made me forget my broken heart, my hardship. He named his darkness, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. What are you naming your darkness? You have the power to move a mountain today with your mouth. You have the power 
to speak a word, to decree a thing and have it established unto you. You have the the power to frame the world that you are walking in and living in right now. And you have the power to name. Have you allowed something to name you bitter? You can rise above it. You can subjugate it by giving it a name. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for our sweet family here in Tamworth. We love you, Lord, and we love this house, and we love our brothers and sisters that are here, our mothers and fathers, our sons and daughters. We love them all. And Father, I'm asking in the name of Jesus, that someone's whole world would change right now. Someone's about to walk out of here fixed. Someone's about to walk out of here so much better than they walked in. Someone's about to walk out of here with a new perspective. Someone's going to walk out of here with a revelation, gasping, gasping for fresh air because of what you are showing them and what they are seeing. I believe this with all of my heart. I believe you've sent me here this morning to speak this word for somebody to do that. Lord, I just call on you now. Holy Spirit, I just call on you. You know the pain. You know the hurt. You know the injustice. You know the violation that has happened. Probably at some point, maybe, Lord, to all of us. But I pray today we would rise up and we would look at that darkness and we would name it night. And by naming it night, we limit it and know that there is a dawn and a new day coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.